You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo. Kyle, oh my gosh, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm doing good, Tom. How are you doing, man? How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Uh, appreciate everybody watching tonight, folks. Make sure to go check us out on all of our social media platforms if you like what you get at Review and Preview Sports. We'll have it scrolling across our ticker below for a few minutes. Um, and make sure to check us out on our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports, where you can find all of our exclusive com- uh, content. If you have a comment, feel free to drop it below in the comment section. If you have anything to say, any questions or opinions for us on the topics of discussion here tonight, as we already have three of them. Uh, a couple from Ben Cruz saying, what's up, guys? Big game for my Boston Celtics tonight. Can't wait to see the fans rocking at TD Garden, Ben Cruz, Celtics fan from Connecticut. Thank you, Ben. We'll be talking about your Boston Celtics a little bit later on in the show, uh, so make sure to stay tuned for that. We definitely want your opinions on the Boston Celtics and how everything is going with them. Henry and Dichter, LFGR. Hank, I heard some rumors you might be taking a trip down south for game six um, from Garth Michael Patrick. That would be quite the interesting task for you i've been hearing rumors so can you confirm or deny let the folks know um if you have any comments like that make sure to go pin them but kyle it's dead time for the nfl nothing to talk about so we're literally scrapping for nuggets which is so unfortunate it's my least favorite time of the year in regards to the nfl but this came out earlier this week Ryan Fitzpatrick announces his retirement from the NFL after 17 seasons, the seventh round draft pick in the 2005 NFL draft out of Harvard. He was selected by the St. Louis Rams. He played for nine NFL teams, made 147 career starts. Uh, What do you think of this announcement and uh, the career of Ryan Fitzpatrick? I mean, it was a it was a pretty good one, right? For for a solidified, probably one of the best backups, at least in my personal opinion, of of, of my generation of watching football. Been around for a very very long time. I mean, you kind of knew that his career was coming to an end after that injury that he took place with the Washington Football Team. Uh, I think it even happened in training camp. I don't know if he ever actually even suited up for a game this past season. I think Taylor Heineke was the one that kind of played every single game this season. So once that happened, combined with the fact they're at the age of 38 years old, 39 years old, not going to be many opportunities for him out there to get a starting opportunity. And then you really got a question at that age, do I want to continue to keep on playing if that starting role isn't out there for me? Um, 
And I guess the answer is no. And listen, he had a terrific career. Uh, I, I heard in the, uh, through the grapevines a little bit, a little in my research, that the Bills are considering giving him a one-day contract to retire as a Buffalo Bill, as, again, as Tom, you talked about, was a part of nine NFL franchises throughout his career, one of them being the Bills. And I think that was his longest tenured uh, yeah. team that he was with. I think he was there for about two or three years, something like that. I know it doesn't sound like a very long time, but the guy moved around a lot to a lot of different teams throughout his career. So very entertaining to watch. Had a lot of highlight moments. I know we watched him. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say closely, but when he was in New York for uh, for that 2015-2016 season where they were a game away from making the playoffs in the New York area, that would have been huge. Um, obviously, in that run with Miami a couple years back, that was a yeah. pretty terrific run with them uh, in, in that starting position before you know Tua took over. So, Brian Fitzpatrick, he's, he's been a very, very seasoned quarterback, a very good veteran quarterback, and nothing but nice words to say about him, at least from what you read and what you hear from the rest of the NFL. Absolutely. And he was actually on Buffalo for four years, four years, which is insane. You talk about a journeyman who spent four years in one place is very impressive. Um, his career stats aren't very flashy. I mentioned the 147 career starts. He played in 169 total games, 223 touchdowns and 169 picks for a backup quarterback who played 17 years. That's not bad at all. Um, and yes, you mentioned the Jets. He was there for two years. In my opinion, 2015 was the best year of his NFL career. Had 31 touchdowns and almost 4,000 passing yards, 3,905 to be exact. That's the year they had Brandon Marshall, Eric Eric Decker. They had the insane running game with those guys. Um, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss him. I remember – do you remember Eli Manning's last start? Fitzpatrick yeah. was the quarterback for the Dolphins, and he came over and was like, and he was like, "Man, I wish I could get some send off like that for my last start." And um, he was often coined the nickname Ryan Fitz Magic. So I want to give this guy a quick shout out for lasting this long in the NFL. And um, before Tom Brady retired, Fitzpatrick became the oldest player at the quarterback position in the NFL. Now that Brady's back, Brady obviously takes that feat again. But when we're looking at who are the oldest quarterbacks left in the NFL after Tom Brady, Kyle, we're pretty much scrapping for names. We're talking about Aaron Rodgers as the second longest tenured quarterback in the NFL. And then after that, you have to dive into the 2008 draft class. We're talking about Matt Ryan, Joe Flacco, Chad Henney, and get this, Josh Johnson, who has been on 14 NFL teams, 14, remarkable. Yeah, remarkable. He's made his way around a couple NFL teams. But, yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick again. I don't want to say hell of a career, but definitely a, a long-tenured one, being a seventh-round pick, 250th overall, one of the final picks in that draft out of Harvard nonetheless, which, as you know, Tom, is not very – in terms of uh, football transition into the NFL, there's not many names out there. So to make a career – the way that he made a career for 17 years, being touted as one of the best uh, backups for a very, very long time, um, and then potentially led a couple teams to to very uh, exciting seasons, like we talked about in the Jets, uh, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I even remember a couple games with the Buccaneers where he had some exciting uh, games and tenures with them as well. But again, hell of a career, and uh, good luck in retirement, right? It, I, I want to see what he does. I feel like he... I don't think he's going to stay out of the limelight. I feel like he'd totally be a TV personality. 
just based on his personality, which we've seen on and off the football field, whether that be in social media, whether that be in pregame or postgame press conferences. And again, just because he's such a fan favorite, not just amongst uh, his peers, but just NFL viewers in general. You know, even though it was, even though in teams in most situations where he was on a team that wasn't necessarily the best team out there, I feel that at least in terms of my viewership and what I remember. Uh, closely starting back when the Jets uh, picked him up and he had that terrific season in 15. Ever since then, kind of, I don't want to say followed him closely, but are intrigued by Ryan Fitzpatrick games due to the name in which you just brought up about Fitzmagic because we've seen a lot of terrific plays and terrific games out of Ryan Fitzpatrick throughout his career. That we have, and Hank will confirm it's true. He is going to Tampa for game Love six. Love it. That's, called de- that's dedication. So they play game five tomorrow up here in New York. Tomorrow's Thursday. Oh, yeah, so it'll be, it'll be a weekend. Hank could go to Florida this weekend. Yeah, it's a yeah, weekend. Yeah. He's, not, he's not working. So perfect, Hank. <laughs> uh, shout out to you, man, um, going to Tampa. And you mentioned Harvard football players. There's actually a few in the NFL. I could name you three Harvard football players right now. I know Cameron Braid is one of them. Correct. Um, you know the other two. I don't. I don't know. I don't. One of them, you're going to be like, what the hell? Kyle Juszczyk. Okay. And Anthony Ferkser. Oh, he's the tight end for – he was with the Titans, but now he's with with who? the Titans, and now he signed with – oh, let me look up where he signed with. I have no idea who he signed with. But, yeah, okay. Falcons. 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 Okay. That's right. Coming over, uh, played with Mariota for a season or two. Before he left for Oakland. But, yeah, um, crazy stuff. Deanna Kearns saying, go review and preview. Shout out to one of our biggest fans, Deanna Kearns. Thank you very much for commenting. Um, And our next topic is, in my opinion, arguably a top two to three defensive football player of all time at this point, Um, even though his career is only eight years young. Aaron Donald becomes the highest paid non-QB in the NFL. Kyle, what's going through your mind when you see this contract extension, mega deal for Aaron Donald? So I watched a lot of podcasts, and I think what really came out uh, in this Aaron Donald predicament was that about, I want to say maybe a week ago, he was on the podcast of Brandon Marshall, I Am Athlete, and I watched it over and he kind of said, you know, I'm at, I'm at peace with my NFL career. He got the ring, you know, he's made the money. He's done everything that he can to prove that he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, maybe even football players of all time, because, you know, obviously defensive, uh, defensive player, Tom, he's, he's for me, at least he's two, he's, he's right there. This guy cannot be stopped. You watch sets on offensive lines. They have three offensive linemen on him. He still can't be stopped. He gets to the quarterback. And especially as an interior guy, you know how hard that is to do. And yet he's one of the best to ever do it, combined with the fact that now he's won the ring and now he gets the money, right? But he said that he was at peace. Obviously, a couple of days later, the Rams kind of take this into uh, account and they say to themselves, okay, this guy might be leaving. And you see all the, the names that have exited, right? You, you see the kind of storyline that the Rams had, all, all the different storylines that went out with it, right? Andrew Whitworth, one of the best left tackles uh, to play in the NFL these past couple of years. It really came on the scene with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, towards the end of his Cincinnati Bengals career, and then had a terrific five, six years with the Rams. He retired, won a Super Bowl ring. Um, you see guys like Sean McVay, even though he's so young, there was question whether or not he was going to retire. 
Von Miller after adding him. Uh, he goes to the Buffalo Bills now. So now they're kind of like in this rebuild mode per se. And Aaron Donald is really the glue, at least in my personal opinion, that keeps this team up in that high regard of Super Bowl contention. So the Rams, they do the magic, they, they get on the phone, and then they know what they got to do. And listen, I don't want to say that anybody's worth $100 million, $200 million, $300 million, but you know what? If there's a guy to be designated as do what you got to do to make this guy happy, Aaron Donald is that guy because, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to get 110% from the guy on every single down, let alone every single game. You know that his work ethic is like none other. You go on social media, you see his practices, his workout videos, absolute insanity, perfect craft. Humble guy, not a bad word ever said about the guy. And in eight years, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, health has never been an issue. And even when it has been injury-wise, he seems to play through it. Shows up in big moments, always a factor in game, really a game changer in every single game in which he performs. So they make him the highest paid non-quarterback uh, player in NFL history. And I guess to round out my, uh, my statement, well-deserved, right? Well-deserved. To put into logistics of what Kyle just talked about, the contract Donald had was restructured, and it'll guarantee him $65 million over the next two seasons $95 million through 2024. This is a $40 million raise from his previous co- previous contract. $40 million raise. Wow. That is not given out every day. But let's talk about why. Career high 84 tackles last year. The guy gets better with age. 12 and a half sacks on a loaded Rams defensive front. 19 tackles for loss. 25 quarterback hits. Four forced fumbles from the defensive tackle position. And four passes Defend made has made the Pro Bowl all eight years since entering the league in 2014. And Donald, talk about the durability, Kyle. He has not missed a start since 2017. There you and go. In 2017, he still started 14 games. There He's you go. Missed two starts due to injury in his eight-year career. Best abilities availability combined with the talent of Aaron Donald. It's absolute insanity. It but again, it's it's if you're the Rams, you know, uh, again, because I still view them in very high regard to potentially repeat. Obviously, we know how hard it is for a Super Bowl contender to do that. We saw with the Tampa yeah. Bay Buccaneers, even though everybody thought they were going to come back and go win the Super Bowl. We obviously saw how the Rams uh, manhandled them for about a first half of a football game. They got back into it with the magic of Tom Brady, but it's very difficult to repeat. But this Rams team. If they don't bring back an Aaron Donald, I, I, I don't know if I view them in that same regard that I do right now at this point in time, just because of how dominant he is up front and how much fear he puts in opposing quarterbacks and opposing offenses. So right back in that conversation, and you know, especially in football as a team game, we really analyze players in the NFL. And I don't really think outside of maybe quarterbacks individually, you know, obviously there's some phenomenal wide receivers, some fantastic running backs in this league, but really just in general, you look on 11 guys on offense, 11 guys on defense, outside of the quarterback position and guys like Aaron Rodgers and maybe a Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Tom Brady. I don't know if there's any other non-quarterback with the exception of Aaron Donald who you could really designate as a true game changer that will instill fear in anybody on any given play. I mean, even when you reflect back to the non-Super Bowl year of last year, right, played through injury with the Green Bay Packers and gave yep. them hell for, for four quarters of football, even though he was injured and only played 50% of the snaps. 
until they took him out of the game, that's when they started getting things going. So, mm-hmm. again, well-deserved, huge amount of money, but at least going to sleep at night knowing that they have another three years opportunity, three years of comfortability to run this thing back as long as they keep that core together uh, with obviously Matthew Stafford, slew of wide receivers, including Cup, uh, Cooper Cup, and then obviously going to that defensive front, starting with Aaron Donald. And that's where I'd give the Rams. I'd give the Rams a three-year window at winning yeah. championships as yeah. of right now. But Absolutely. Moving on, let's talk about the current sports that are happening. The NHL and my New York Rangers being in the Eastern Conference Finals, tied 2-2 two to two with the Tampa Bay Lightning over the course of the past two weeks. We've had guests come on. We've had a Rangers super fan from the sports box and a Lightning fan as well. By the way, we love working with the sports box. Garth and Noah, hope you're both watching. I sent you the link there in the group, so make sure you tune in and drop us some comments here tonight. Uh, about this series because now we're going to talk about it. Um, I know we've had a lot of agreements and disagreements in our little group chat about it, but let's talk about it. So a lot of people unarguably have agreed that these are the best two goalies on the planet right now, Igor and Vasilevsky. Only one year apart in age, by the way, and Vasi has accomplished so much already, but in game one, if you're in our Facebook group, the Review and Preview Sports Corner, Noah Dibler posted a meme about how the Rangers absolutely boat raced the Tampa Bay Lightning, picking up where they left off in Game 7 against Carolina. They win 6-2. to two. Philip Heedle with two goals led the charge, and Igor had 27 saves. I love the way the Rangers played in Game 1, Kyle. Their physicality was there. Tampa did match it. That's the one difference between the Carolina series and this one. The physicality is going to be matched potentially even surpassed at times. But when you look at the first two games in this series, the Rangers really did a nice job holding the momentum of this game, especially in game two, where they went 0 for 4 on the power play. Kako, Zabinijad, and Miller each scored a goal, getting a piece of the pie. Uh, you know, Kucherov got stuff going. Vasilevsky was a little better in net, started to get settled in. The first two games the Rangers took, but the Lightning have taken the last two, game three. The Lightning outshoot the Rangers 52-30, to 30, winning the game 3-2. to two. Also, they did a good job at creating power play opportunities. Four out of their five goals were scored, or four out of the five goals in this game, I should say, were scored on the power play. Palat ended up scoring the game winner. And then in game four, the Lightning win 4-1 to one last night. That game made me absolutely sick. No Ryan Strom. Barkley Goudreau got banged up. Philip Heedle left the game, finally starting to come on, and Philip Heedle has been dominating these playoffs, and he leaves with an upper body injury, and now he's a game-time decision for Game 5 tomorrow. Kyle, do you think the Lightning just had a little rust on their shoulders and you know needed to regain their footing on the ice a little bit, or do you think the Rangers were legit in those first two games and this is actually a series? I think it's definitely a series, but something to, you know, piggyback on what you just brought up, Tom, in your question is that Garth alluded to it last week is that, you know, how this series could start is either one or two ways. Is the Lightning can come out firing because of the fact they've had nine, ten days of rest, or they could have a little rust. And I think in a six to two loss, again, all the kudos in the world to the Rangers whatsoever, especially because we've seen their struggles offensively. And that was really a full I want to say 60-minute game, as far as the playoffs have gone as a whole, that might have been their best game all playoffs mm-hmm. long. You know, coming off the high of winning a game seven in Carolina, dethroning them because they hadn't won 
a road game the entire playoff race. They were money at home, and the Rangers were able to beat them in a game seven was huge after they were down to nothing to start that series as well. So huge momentum swing into the Rangers' favor. They played great. You're seeing that that kid line really, really do some great things. You talked about Heedle. He's been huge. Keandre Miller, uh, Capo Caco, Alexi Lafreniere, all great. And you're seeing, even though it's happening quietly, I, I don't feel like it's getting highlighted enough. Artemi Panarin is starting to score, starting to contribute point-wise, whether it be an assist or goals. Mika Zibanejad has, has been amazing so far. And Igor, Igor Shesterkin, he's just been doing his thing. He's just been doing his thing. It seems like most of the goals, at least from what I've watched between the Carolina, the Penguins, and even so far this series against Tampa, most goals that go in for him are kind of like goals that hit him in the chest. He kind of loses direction, loses sight, and it's kind of just picked up and shot at within two feet of him. It's nothing ever from like the top of the key and shot in and laser beam into the back of the net. It's never anything like that. It's something where it kind of loses direction, loses sight. But to answer the question about is this a series? The Rangers are a legitimate team. Mm-hmm. Igor Shesterkin makes them a legitimate team. Game three for me, the biggest thing, which I didn't understand, because I think that's, that's obviously a momentum changer. And I think that, for me at least, when they won that game in Tampa Bay Lightning, I knew they were going to win game four. Because that's a game that sucks the life out of you. That game, the Rangers should have won. They were up 2 nothing, going into the – I want to say – I think they were up 2-1 going to the third period, but they had all the momentum on their side. They go into the third period, and they just look like garbage. They just look terrible. They're giving up goals, obviously the late goal to Andre Palat. But if you remember those last four or five minutes of the game, at least when I was sitting there watching the game, I was with my girlfriend and her family, and her brother was saying to me, and I was agreeing with him, I'm like, he said, I don't understand why Gallant's not calling a timeout. Stop the bleeding, like right now, because all they're doing these last five, six minutes of the third period They're just playing dump-off hockey. They're not even attempting to get shots on net. And you knew that if it wasn't going into overtime, they were going to lose the game. What happens? They let up a goal with one minute left because Igor, you know, he can only be as godly for so long. You go to game four as well. There was just no semblance of of any Ranger team whatsoever. It it looked like they didn't even show up from minute one all the way to minute 60. They just looked terrible. The Lightning controlled the whole game. The Lightning controlled the whole game. But what I will give credit to – about the Rangers, why I think it stings even more about Game 3, especially the ability to potentially go up 3-0 when mm-hmm. really reflecting back on it. Because they've been the comeback kids, right? That's what they've done all yeah, playoff have, long. Yeah. They've been the comeback kids. But to go up 3-0 on this Lightning team, I thought was so essential. They had to steal one at home. I know they've been excellent at home. But everybody liked to make fun of the Carolina Hurricanes and say, oh, they couldn't win a game on the road. When you look at the Rangers team, they're kind of that same storyline too. They're 8-1 at home. And two and seven on the road. That's why I thought game three, the way they shot, shot out of a cannon in game, in game three. They played excellent for two straight periods. To play a third period like that was atrocious. To lose the way they lost like that was yeah. an atrocity. But, again, I think this is a legitimate series. I don't think it's over because, Tom, as you know, as I know, I think one thing that we could say about this Rangers team that we've learned tremendously is that home ice advantage means the world to this team more than I think that any other hockey team in this playoff race had, maybe outside of the Carolina Hurricanes through two rounds, but now the Rangers being in that final step before the finals, home ice is everything to them. It is, and the Garden is such a tough place to play. Um, there, There's pretty much no other way to put it. The Rangers, quite frankly, as Vinny says, got to start making things more difficult for Vassie. Lots of easy saves for Vassie last night. 
in game four. And I'll admit this. Vassy's outplayed Igor in the last couple of games. And as good as Igor has been, Igor's one weakness is the five hole. Yeah. Right. Eight goals have gone past him in the playoffs through the five hole. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Igor needs to improve on as the older he gets. Now, I get it. Him and Vassy are closer in age, but Vassy started up in the NHL a lot sooner than Igor. Vassy needed to develop at the NHL as where Igor developed in Russia. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of a tale of two tapes right there. And another thing I don't really understand about the Rangers is when Filipino went out with, with the injury, Gallant was mixing lines, which he never does. He rarely mixes lines. And we saw that last night. We saw a lot of that last night. And then to get to Vinny's other comment, Got to be more responsible in the defensive zone with the weapons Tampa has. Lots of bumper passes and shots with the Rangers sucking in on the initial man. This is factual as well. We saw that way too often. It opened lanes for guys like Kucherov and Palat. Um, which, by the way, shout out to Vinny Milani, host of the Sack City podcast. Make sure to go check them out on Facebook. On uh, I believe they're on Twitter and YouTube. They might be on Instagram as well. But Vinny's been doing some great work over there at the Sac City podcast as of late. Uh, Jacksonville guy. So Rangers fan in Florida. <laughs> Thank you very much, Vinny Milani. But um, Kyle, I've got to tell you, I'm a little worried going into game five. Heedle and Strom are both game time decisions. Braden Point has not been ruled out yet. And that's that, that's the big thing, right? The catalyst for the Lightning has not been available. The guy who is the centerpiece, right, who makes things flow for them offensively. He ignites the engine in what makes Tampa live up to their name as the Tampa Bay Lightning. Obvious pun intended there, but that's who Braden Point is. He gets to the point of attack. Again, another pun, but just look at how deep this Lightning squad is. Right, so you have good. some former Rangers on this squad. You have Ryan Ryan McDonough, outstanding defenseman. He's still my favorite player in the National Hockey League. It pains me to watch the Rangers go through the series going up against my favorite player. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. And in my opinion, I spoke to Brian Attard this morning, host of Blue Truth. He's like, if we lose Game Five, we're still in it. No, if we lose Game Five, we're done. We're not winning in Tampa Bay in Game Six. You just mentioned two and seven on the road in the playoffs. With what mentality could the Rangers possibly win game six after losing three straight? To me, it just doesn't add up. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I, we talked about it with Brian a couple of weeks ago uh, when bringing up the Carolina series. And I remember myself saying that something that I think played in the Rangers' favor in, in both of their comebacks was that obviously coming back from a 3 1 deficit was tremendous. Uh, coming back through from a 3 2 deficit is great. I don't think if Tampa puts you up against the wall in a 3 2 standpoint i don't know if the rangers are winning two straight that's just my personal opinion i don't think they're that kind of team especially if they go up three two that means they won three in a row i i think that sucks all the momentum out of this rangers team and i think you're starting to i think you're starting to see it just a just a tad bit because you're seeing some dumb errors and stupid penalties i mean along with game three i know i'm highlighting it tremendously but jacob truba single-handedly like blew that game for the rangers in fact, he had two two penalties that led up two power play goals. And then he had the another penalty, which eliminated the four-minute double minor, which eliminated you guys of potentially taking advantage of yeah, that last yep. uh, the last like uh, five or so minutes of that third period. So completely took you out of that. And then in game four, obviously, again, there was just there was no semblance of anything there. 
for for a while it seemed like even though that the Rangers, because for most of this game, Tom, the Rangers were out shooting Tampa, which was surprising. But it didn't feel like that because it felt like the quality of shots in which Tampa was getting, it felt like almost every single shot on goal they were getting had a legitimate chance to go in. It didn't feel that same way for the Rangers. And again, you have these dump-off passes late in the game. You just say to yourself, where's the development to even try to make a play here for this Ranger team? There's nothing. You talk about lacking defensively in the D uh, D zone. I know one that comes to mind was that breakaway by Nikita Kucherov, squeezing between three defenders. Uh, The Ranger defender, I don't remember who it was, could have gone left or right, chooses to go right, and lets Kucherov go right to the net, one-on-one play uh, between him and uh, Igor Shesterkin. And Nikita Kucherov, that's money every day. In fact, I saw a stat that Kucherov and Stamkos are 10-1 all-time in the playoffs when each of them score a goal. They've each scored a goal in both games three and four, and they won both those games. So, Mm -hmm. again, that's a key as well. Easier said than done to stop, but this Ranger team, we've seen them do it before. They're more than capable of doing it. They have that different spark underneath them when they're at home. And, again, to say that they can't come back, Tom, I don't want to say that, uh, again, while I agree with you in saying that, if they go down 3-2, which is a very viable possibility, obviously, as they're dealing with a slew of injuries right now and the fact that momentum has kind of shifted, Tampa Bay is getting back into that groove and where that theory of, oh, maybe they were just rusty games one and two in the series because they had nine, ten days off, maybe that was actually true because we're seeing the true Tampa Bay light. Their game is this. If they score first, heavy defensively, they'll get some great yes. shots on goal, but they will suffocate you defensively. That's what we've seen in both games three and four. Right. I, if that happens again at the Garden tomorrow night, again, Igor is going to do his thing, but you're seeing the same struggles once again with this team. I mean, I know Panarin had the only goal, but his presence, I mean, I, as a Ranger fan, you probably watched the whole game. I watched periods yep. one and three. I just want to see where it was at. Panarin played 16 minutes, didn't have a single shot on goal. There's but, something up with him. I, and I, I think there's an undisclosed injury that we don't know about. See, I thought about that, and then I said to myself this. For what reason, if that was the case, would you be playing him as many minutes as you are? If you, if like, I get it. Use him as a decoy, whatever it is. But to play 22 minutes and tell me that you can't shoot a puck, I mean, you're taking away. Because the Rangers are also deep offensively. You could move Mm -hmm. somebody up the lines and maybe, again, put Artem Panarin on a lesser line. But to play him as many minutes as you're doing, knowing that he's not even going to attempt to shoot the puck, I mean, that's there's got to be something there, a mental block or something. Because, again, we've seen quietly he's, he's performed. He's, he's had some big-time moments. So I don't think it's an injury. I just don't understand what the reason is for being as passive as he's been, looking mm-hmm. to set up people rather than just trying himself to do it. Because if you watch in these games, especially the latter part, because it's almost unknown to the rest of the NHL at this point in time, that's how prevalent it's been, is that they're giving him, what, Tom, 10, 15 feet of space in between him and the nearest defender to test him to shoot? That's Artemi Panarin. They should have a guy right on him. They're not even looking to defend him because they know he's not even going to shoot. So to me, that just doesn't make any sense. If he is injured, obviously you'll find that out at the end of the season. But if that is the case, I mean, that's, that's a liability as a coach as well. Yeah. As great as he is, it's the playoffs. You can't be playing that guy that many minutes if he's injured. I hear you. Look, I'm sticking with my prediction, Rangers and seven. I got to stay true. We've gotten this far. I can't back away now. I'd be silly to. Are you sticking with Tampa in six? 
I'll stick with Tampa in six. I'll stick with that. I think if they win tomorrow, Pivotal. I think that it's going to be – I don't think they could win Tampa. I don't. Pivotal home ice. Let's let's defend it. Best of three series is what it's become, ladies and gentlemen. And if there is a game seven, the Rangers would host the Lightning on the 28th anniversary of the 1994 Stanley Cup Finals Game 7. We all know what happened there. Last time the Rangers won a Stanley Cup. So that date would be of huge significance. But moving on, in the Western Conference, we're not spending much time on this because this series was an absolute joke. Yeah. The Colorado Avalanche advanced to their first Stanley Cup final since 2001, sweeping the Edmonton Oilers four games to none. In game four, they beat the the Avs win six to five in overtime. I don't know about you, Kyle. This is a game Edmonton should have won. This is the oh, difference. Absolutely. I mean, Mike Smith is just not a great goalie anymore. That that's the reality of the situation. Defensively, they weren't good. They gave up four goals in the third period. Toes, Landis, Gog, McKinnon, Rantanen all just found the back of the net, and then Lekkinen with the or Terry Lekkinen with the game uh, the game winning goal in OT. I mean, you gave up five goals in like a period and a half, essentially. That's what it was. And granted, the Avs have been untouchable in the playoffs. They're 12-2. and two. The only two losses they had was in the second round. Yeah. Now, I look at it this way. The Oilers had their opportunities, right? They had five power plays. Yeah. They converted on just one opportunity. It's not like the Avs goaltender is Superman. So, again... It's unfortunate you should not score five goals in a hockey playoff game and lose. I mean, it's just unacceptable. It's the first time McDavid got to this stage of the playoffs, and they lay an absolute egg. And it's not entirely his fault. It's not entirely his fault. In my opinion, I'm throwing this game on the defense and the goaltending. Oh, yeah, 100%. But that's been the liability for years now, right, in this series. I mean, again, we know Colorado is dominant offensively, in fact, I think it might be an understatement. They scored 22 goals in four games against the Edmonton team. They were averaging over five goals a game uh, in a playoff Western Conference Finals. That doesn't happen. That's not supposed to happen. That's supposed to happen against the bottom five team in the, in the NHL, not against a powerhouse team that's in the Western Conference Finals. That, but they made this into a joke of a series, to be quite frank. They did. And again, Tom, they had, this, they had their opportunities in game four. They had their opportunities in game three. They had their opportunities in game one. And they're really the only game they didn't really show up, per se, is when they got shut out in game two, 4 nothing. But, again, Mike Smith, terrific run in this playoff race. But the storyline with this Edmonton team for years now with Connor McDavid, because Connor McDavid's been that dude since, like, day one. Mm-hmm. Dreisaitl has come on the scene these last three, four years. Terrific. Absolutely incredible. Evander Kane come in, uh, came in, performed great. Ryan Nugent Hopkins did his thing. They had some great team performers. The goaltender just it killed them. It yep. killed them. They got to get a goalie because I'll say this. I mean, honestly, like you alluded to, Tom, five goals should be enough to win you a hockey game. We get it. Colorado's a hell of a team. But if you have any semblance of a goaltender in there, maybe this series goes the other way. You know, that's crazy to say considering Colorado swept them. But that's how bad Mike Smith and Koskinen were in, in these games. It was terrible. To start off game one, you give up eight goals in a playoff hockey game? It was an absolute disgrace. Yep. They shouldn't. I mean, this is Colorado's cup to lose. I hate to say it, even though the Lightning are back-to-back champs, 
I mean, you're you're looking at this now saying Colorado is going to be well rested and the Rangers and Lightning are going to beat each other up for at least six games now. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to be tough for whoever comes out of the East to match up well against these guys. But we'll get to that when we get to the Stanley Cup. But moving on, we have game three tonight of the NBA Finals as we transition into some basketball for you folks, all our basketball fans out there. The Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors are tied at one game apiece. Boston obviously taking game one in shocking fashion uh, to some, winning 120 to 108. And I say that because Jason Tatum shot 3 of 17 from the field. But stats are deceiving sometimes. How did Jason Tatum impact game one? Well, he had 13 assists, right? That's how he impacted game one. He knew it wasn't his night shooting the basketball. He gave it to Al Horford. Again, five Al Horfords over five Steph Currys. And Review and Preview's very own Fonz DeFalco doubled down on that this week on the Slickback Kickback Report, said he'd rather have 10 Al Horfords over 10 Steph Currys. I don't know if I've ever heard a hotter take. I don't know if I've ever heard a hotter take. You want to talk about the oldest of old school takes? That's it. That's it. Uh, Al Horford had 26 points in game one. Six yeah. of eight from three. But an old school player like him has managed to modernize his game to the point where he can still be effective and be relevant at 35 years old and start in an NBA finals, which shout out to him. This is his first finals, but you got him and Robert Williams in the front court who had four blocks, Jalen Brown scoring 24 points. I mean, you look at the diversity of points in this game. Smart, 18. Derek White, 21 with five threes. Peyton Pritchard, eight points and six rebounds. You let little Peyton Pritchard get six rebounds. Steph (laughs) never does that. I mean, come on. Boston was bound to win this game. The leading scorer for the Warriors was Steph Curry. Clay, I don't know where Clay was. Um, Andrew Wiggins should not be the number two guy. He should be the number three guy. Yeah. And that was scoring wise, at least. That wasn't the case. Was not the case. No. And that doesn't, it doesn't help the argument either. You know, uh, all you see on social media, all sports broadcasting, the first question they ask themselves, they do it in all series, right? In all sports, they say, did one team lose the game or the other team won it in terms of a comeback, right? Warriors lost that game. That was theirs to lose. You have a 40 to 16 fourth quarter, absolutely atrocious. Uh, and this is to a veteran season team that's been to the NBA Finals now, what, five times out of the last uh, eight years, seven years six now? Six out of the last eight. Six out of last eight. Yeah. Like that's not. This isn't. That you long. know, it'd be one thing if that happened to the Boston Celtics, but to happen to this team, that's not supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. But a lot of things didn't go their way, right? Jordan Poole in twenty-five minutes, only nine points. Outside of Tyler Hero, I mean, he was my sixth man of the year. He was tremendous this year. Uh, arguably, the, I know he didn't win it. John Moran, I think, won it. Most improved player of the year. I thought he was the most improved player of the year. He was absolutely tremendous from a later first-round pick out of Michigan. These last couple of years, evolving his game to where he is now a solid threat on a three-point sniping legacy shooting team that the Warriors have, tremendous. Draymond Green shooting two of 12 in the field. Again, he's not a scorer by any stretch of the imagination, but we know most of his points are in the paint. So to go two of 12, he just had an inefficient night. Clay Thompson had 15, bad night. Andrew Wiggins, like you alluded to, Tom, really is, he's, listen, he's evolved his game. He's become a really good player these last couple of years that he's been with the Warriors. He was an all-star starter this year. Um, had 20 points, but he should be with a team that deep. He should not be your second leading scorer. Steph Curry had 21 points in that first quarter, 
but then the remaining three quarters only had another 13 points, averaging what? That's four points per quarter? You can't do that if you're Steph Curry. But again, they laid off the gas. They played nonchalant basketball. They allowed the team to get back to the game. And again, you had some unprecedented shooting uh, by the unlikeliest of candidates, right? You have Al Horford going six for eight from the three-point line. You have Marcus Smart shooting really well late down the stretch on the three-point line. Yep. Derek White, who, uh, again, I think is a tremendous ad. I, I said at the minute that he was added to the Boston team back on the trade deadline happened from the San Antonio Spurs that he was going to be great off the bench. But he hadn't shown anything like that, at least in watching the Miami Heat series. He wasn't that active of a participant, really that deep of a, really that big of a threat to what you saw in game one. Peyton Pritchard, as you alluded to as well. This is a guy who last year and in the beginning of this year was falling out of lineup to have the solid contribution that he had in an NBA Finals game in game one, nonetheless. Huge. But then you move on to game two, right? And you kind of see those same things kind of come to fruition. Where you say to yourself, again, for the Warriors at least, Tom, right? Everybody's MIA. Nobody showed up to the Oracle. It was just, uh, or not the Oracle anymore. What is it, what is it now in, uh, for, for Golden State, their new arena? I, I can't even tell you. I haven't but, paid attention. But, but Steph Curry's the only guy that shows up, right? Steph yep. Curry's the only guy that shows up. Clay Thompson, 11 points, whatever it was. Andrew Wiggins, 11 points. He had some nice contributions. I think Jordan Poole might add 17 or whatever it was. But nobody showed up outside of Steph Curry, but they wound up winning the game by almost 20 points. And they were up going into the third period, almost a similar storyline. They were up by uh, 13 or 14 points going into that fourth quarter, right. similar to game one. Except this time, they held the lead. And it now did. for Boston as well, kind of talking about you know unprecedented numbers from guys like uh, Al Horford and Marcus Smart and you know Derek White. Those guys were, again, nowhere to be found in game two. What Marcus Smart had what? I think like two points. I know Al Horford had two points. I think they each had two points. Uh, I think Derek White had 12, which is, you know, nice contribution off the bench, but nowhere near the performance that he had, especially late down the stretch in the fourth quarter performance. And Jason Tatum, he he turned it around. But everybody else, MIA. Nobody was there for the Boston Celtics, and that's why they wound up losing in that game two scenario. Well, yeah. Uh, Again, this was one of my keys. The Warriors are the deeper team. Yep. They're the deeper team. And now let's look at Ben Cruz's comment here. Celtics fan says, keys for the Celtics rest of the series. Limit turnovers. That's been a common theme in our losses. Need more consistency outside of Tatum and Brown scoring-wise. Smart and Hor- Horford have been guys that can do that. I think the Warriors are going to try and get Clay going early because we're going to double-team Steph. Yeah, well, and that's a good point because Clay hasn't really showed up in this series so far, he's been awfully quiet, right? So yeah. that might be a good strategy, Ben. Make Clay beat you. Don't make Steph beat you, right? You want to put the ball in other guys' hands. And when you have a defensive lineup like the Celtics have, it works to your advantage. All five of those guys out there can play marvelous defense. Tatum, Brown, Smart, Horford, Williams, all five of those guys. Grant Williams as well. That's why he plays. Because yeah. other than other other than his defense, I, I wouldn't know who he is other than the fact that he played at Tennessee. The problem is, where's the balanced attack? Where's the scoring coming from on the bench outside of Derek White? Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams, all due respect to those guys, are not your seventh and eighth man on your average basketball team that's in the NBA Finals. That's not the case. So that's where my concern is, Ben and all the Celtics fans watching, how is Boston going to counteract what the Warriors have? I don't think they'll be able to. 
I still have the Warriors winning the series in five games. Yeah, listen, I think that I had the I think I had Warriors in six, just because I didn't I didn't want to say something like Warriors in in five, but I kind of felt the same mantra yeah. and feel about the series, especially again. Game one was the Warriors. They they, they lost it. They, they should be up 2-0 in this series right now. All the respect in the world to Boston for the comeback in which they had epic fourth-quarter performance. But it should really be a 2-0 series right now in favor of the Warriors going into the TD Garden tonight. But this Boston team, I mean, really, the, the, the thing for me is that we've seen all season long, defense has been their bread and butter. They have to stick to that. Now, again, Ben, easier said than done, double-team Steph Curry. Again, as we know with all-stars, when you get defensive heavy and kind of pressure them in situations, refs are going to give them calls. And Steph Curry, not only being a lethal three-point shooter, but free throw shooter as well, one of the best in the entire NBA, I think like 92 93% from the free throw line yep. career-wise, that's easy money for him, easy baskets. You could try doing that, he'll make it all day. The biggest thing for me with this Boston team is because defensively they've done a great job, right? If you're telling me that you've held the Warriors to, in game two, 107 and game one, uh, what was it, 108? That's that's yep. awesome. That's mm-hmm. awesome. For me, Boston, you just got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown got to show up on the same night. Jalen Brown showed up game one. Jason Tatum again. Every, people want to talk about effectiveness. You know, 13 assists, cool. But 13 assists because of the fact that some passes to Al Horford on shots that usually don't go down went down. On shots to Derek White and Marcus Smart to three-point shots that – sometimes go down less often than not they all went down in the fourth quarter just a money fourth quarter in game one you can't count on that you're if i'm the celtics i'm gonna need at least 15 from marcus smart i'm gonna need 30 plus from tatum i'm gonna need 25 plus from jalen brown i'm gonna need at least 10 plus from al horford and the other thing is as well in the starting lineup rob williams I, i didn't watch the game closely i don't know if he went out with an injury or whatever he played 14 minutes, logged in two points with two rebounds. Mm-hmm. He's been a defensive monster. And if you really want to cause some trouble, he's the guy that I think is kind of your key to stopping the paint and why the Warriors have been so limited offensively. Yeah. Because, again, we know how great they are perimeter-wise, but they also can shoot very effectively with inside the paint. So Robert Williams being that big man in the middle, especially when you look at the other guys that's on the opposite side, Kevon Looney is a, is a decent NBA center, but he's not. He's, he's not one of the top-tier centers in the NBA. He's not very athletic. He's not going to score many points on you, Not probably not going to out-rebound you. Draymond's going to do his thing. Robert Williams has shown that he's a really, really good center in this league. Again, battled some injuries in almost every series of so far this playoffs, but yep. he's been really good. You're going to need that type of production if you're going to want to win. I mean, Adoka has proven that he can adapt to changes in his lineups in terms of his game plan, in terms of good his coaching. Coach. I think that being at home, again – We'll see. I mean, because if if Boston gets completely shell-shocked in this game three tonight, close the books. Mm-hmm. But if they could show you that same type of spark that we've seen really all season long in the turnaround in the NBA playoffs, whether it was up against the Bucks, up against the Heat, up against the uh, Brooklyn Nets, in which they shut them out nonetheless, I think you're going to have to score. You're going to have to – it's not the defense for Boston that's lacking. It's your offense. Because if you could hold that Warriors team to what you're doing in games one and two, you, you have to score. They're just not scoring. Mm-hmm. 
Williams since game seven of Miami has been still a blocking machine, but has battled an injury affecting his side to side movement. Another big thing in this series, like the Miami series, second chance points and points off turnovers. Golden yep. state is deadly in those categories. Golden state. I think uh, in game two, at least they outbeat the uh, Celtics steel wise in that category, 15 to five. That can't happen. Warriors Absolutely sold the ball 15 not. times compared to the Boston Celtics five times stealing the ball. As good as the Warriors are defensively, I think the Celtics are better. Yeah, I th- agreed. I think, I think the Celtics are better, and that's why that's why they're here. That, that's why Giannis isn't here. Hate to say it. That's why, listen, the Nets, right? You shut down KD. You, I mean, again, it's not talked about enough. As much as we want to kind of talk about the Brooklyn Nets, underachieve, whatever it is, I don't think I've ever seen KD get shut down for four consecutive games in any sort of you know situation, playoffs, regular yeah. season, the way the Boston Celtics figured him out in a sense. Freaking Middleton, man. I just wish. I, I just wish <laughs> I would have seen. And look, no, no excuses for me, but I, I just wish what it would have been like a Bucs-Warriors finals. That's what I really wanted to see this year. And I think that's what a lot of people wanted to see this year. But the fact that Boston is here – it's great for them, you know. It's an opportunity. Ab- absolutely. And they cannot squander it tonight. They have to take advantage of home court. They have to win at least one in Boston. If they win two, great. But they have to win at least one to yep. stay alive in this series, in my opinion. So moving on to baseball. And, again, we're not going we're gonna to talk a little bit of baseball because there is no hitting for the cycle Tomorrow night, just a reminder, Hank will be at Game 5, Rangers playing the Lightning at the Garden. So we will talk about the Mets and the Yankees specifically. Now, the Mets are currently on their yearly road trip, and this is the time of year where things usually fall apart. (laughs) So just to update everybody, the Mets are six games into their 10-game road trip, and they're 3-3. and They're 3-3, and and they have a chance they tie the Dodgers in a four-game series after dropping the first two. They looked abysmal against the Padres last night, but if they win tonight, they win that series. And then they play three games against the lowly L.A. Angels. 13 straight losses. So the Mets could come out of this road trip above 500 on the road trip. Granted, Atlanta, they've been on an outstanding winning streak. They've won six to seven games in a row. They're only eight games back in the Mets now, but the Mets are doing quite well on this road trip, considering what they have, they don't have as much star power currently that the Dodgers or the Padres have in their pitching rotation and their lineup. We're throwing out guys like Luis Guillorme, Nick Plummer, and Patrick Mazika. Those are guys that should not be out there for you every day, but they are because Max Scherzer gets bitten by his dog. Uh, there, there was another. I couldn't uh, believe that was real. I saw that. I had to actually look at the New York Post to see if that was real. Lindor missed the first game of the road trip because he slammed the door, the hotel room door on his finger. And then there was another scenario. I forget what happened. It was either Nimmo or McNeil, something. Oh, and, oh, this was the most Mets thing to happen. Last night, McNeil is coming for a fly ball in left field, and Francisco freaking Lindor doesn't call it off. Runs into him almost, and McNeil drops the ball. Terrible, 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 terrible. That's unacceptable. I don't care that the Mets are playing well on this road trip. You cannot lose to the Padres seven to nothing. You cannot. It can't happen. 
it cannot happen. I'm very, very disappointed with last night's performance. Uh, Taiwan Walker, again, I don't think he's that good. Uh, again, he got hit rock hard last year, gave up four runs in six innings pitched. Colin Holderman starting to get exposed, gave up three runs in just a third of an inning. And you Darvish was outstanding. The Mets had two hits all night long, seven strong, no runs, two hits, six Ks. Cronenworth and Machado, their bread and butter, each get a pair of RBIs. Oh, this is what I meant to bring up. Alonzo leaves the game, gets hit by a pitch. Starling Marte injured on the bases. Arguably the two most productive players on the Mets team this year. Are they even going to play tonight? That's the real question. We're talking about Escobar hitting the cycle the night before. And now the Escobar might be hitting cleanup with, with the way this is looking right now. It's that bad. Um, I'll tell you, man. Hey, listen, I, he, hit, he hit for the cycle the other a couple nights ago. So, listen, he's more no than capable of a hitter. No pun this, intended. This, this would have been the, the week for Hank to not miss his show because somebody actually hit for the cycle this week. Somebody but actually hit for the is. cycle. And then your guy, Luke Voigt, had a three-run homer the other night. Um, just wanted to throw that out there. And the disappointing Chris Bassett takes the mound tonight. Four and three, 3.74 ERA. He has not lived up to the all-star hype as of late, going up against Sean Manaya. Two and three, 3.7 ERA. Uh, former teammates on the Oakland A's. Uh, look, am I confident that the Mets are going to win this division? No. Will the Mets make the playoffs? I think so. I think so. I still think the as of this day, June eighth, twenty twenty two, the Mets are eight games in front of the Atlanta Braves. They will not win this division. The Atlanta Braves are winning the NL East in twenty twenty two. Wow. Okay. I mean, listen, it's it's so early in the season where it's not too outlandish of a. Uh... It's not too outlandish of a comment, but at the same time, it's like, Tom, I, I brought up to you, you know, you were talking about how if the uh, if the Mets go 500, whatever, in the series, right? Now you're looking how, I mean, because at least last week or the week before that when we were talking about it, right? I said, you know, win your games against Philadelphia, win your games against the Nationals. They won all. And again, even though you guys were lacking a lot of, you know, solid players due to injury, as long as you went 500, even you... Due to the lead in which you guys had, you had the affordability to lose some games. You're, you're eight we games do. in front of the Braves. Again, they're on a six-game win streak. And the firing of Joe Girardi has lit a fire underneath the Philadelphia Phillies players. They've yeah, won a five-game win streak as well, but they're ten and a half games back. So as long as you stay consistent, win a couple games here and there, even go 500 till some of these guys get back to the mound, get back to the field. Oh, by the way, update with uh, – uh, Pete Alonso, no fracture, everything clean on the X-way, just merely uh, swollen, so all good. He is uh, out I don't, tonight, though, I believe. Yeah, he is out tonight. It's, it's, it's a true day-to-day situation. But Mar- Mar- Marte, I'm not sure. But. Yeah, I'm not sure about Marte, but again, huge break there. That would have been a major loss if it was yep. a fracture. But they're in a really good position right now. Again, they're still playing really good baseball. I, I know I brought up last week something uh, that is a difference between this year's team and really any team the last five years is that – even if the pitching doesn't show up, which in some games it has, right? Carlos Grasco against the, I think it was the Padres in game one of the series, was phenomenal. It was fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. he, was, he was the uh, resurgence of the World Series-esque uh, Cleveland Indians run that they had a couple years, five, six years back. That, that, that kind of Carrasco, the, the way he started the season. In fact, 
by win wise, record wise, I don't know about ERA wise. I think he's been your best pitcher. I think he's seven and one. It's terrific. Carrasco. Oh yeah, yeah. He's been terrific. It's not even close. But as long as you guys get the hitting that you guys are getting, because again, that's the difference maker. You guys were just getting no hitting whatsoever these previous five, six years, whatever you want to call it. You get this type of hitting, you're gonna fall into some wins, and I think that's what you're gonna see moving forward. Because the Angels again, they, ah, you guys should be able to beat them. You guys should really be able to beat them. I don't really see any struggle. As long as you guys perform offensively, you really shouldn't have any struggle. Um, you know, Padres round out the series. You got the Brewers who are also faltering, not looking so great. The Astros are, you know, leading their division because of the fact teams like Seattle are disappointing. Teams like the Angels, who were at once upon a time earlier in the season were 24 and 13, have now lost 13 in a row and are now below 500 after having an 11 game above 500 record. So you guys are going to be fine. You come back in July, you know Steve Cohen is going to make some moves at the deadline. You know you're going to get healthy. I think you guys are going to be good, especially because of the fact the lead that you've sustained thus far, eight games on the Braves, ten and a half games on the Phillies. Even if you don't win the division, the magnitude of a lead that you've built, it would take such a fall and collapse to really lose that lead. I just don't see that happening. The problem is, and here's where I disagree a little bit, it's happened time and time again. And if you look what the Mets have coming back from the road trip, they have the Milwaukee Brewers. They have the Astros twice this month. Then we have the Yankees in July. Um, sorry, Kyle, but the Mets are better than the Yankees. Prove me wrong. Uh, absolutely not, Zach. Absolutely not. The Mets are not even close to the Yankees. They're not even close. Um, this team this year, they're a really good baseball team, the Mets. But right now, we're missing Scherzer. We're missing DeGrom. Right now, the, the team that is currently on the field, Zach, is not better than the Yankees. If they get those guys back, you could argue, yes. But you're without three of your best pitchers in McGill, DeGrom, and Scherzer. And you don't have um, – trying to think of who we're missing right now of significance in the field. Actually, I don't think anybody's out for significantly long. Uh, James McCann's the only name that comes to mind. Uh, but that's not really great, that, That's not really that bad. It's not a huge loss, but look how great the Mets are, even without the Grom and Scherzer. Mets are dead. That's what I'm saying. But, but that's Zach, because the, the, bat, the batting is there. The batting the, is there. The Yankees are 40 and 15, and they're on a seven game winning streak. How are, how are we better than that? How? Yeah, and, the, and, and listen, I'm and their not, bullpen I'm not, is better. Clay Holmes has given up one freaking run, and it's June. Yeah, it's been pretty. It's been pretty nice to be honest with you, especially because of the collapse of the bullpen between losing Loizaga, Chapman, <laughs> Green. Good. To have Clay Holmes just come out and just be an absolute stud after yeah. like a random trade with the Pittsburgh Pirates, I think last off season something like that, absolutely tremendous. But Tom, like you alluded to, the number one in ERA in baseball, the number one in WHIP. The difference between this team and and Yankees teams of, of prior years is that. Everybody on this team is hitting. Their slugging percentage is the best in baseball right now. Yeah, They're athletic now. They rank 10th right. in stolen bases. They were one of the worst teams in the league in terms of stealing bases. They're number one in home runs, no shocker, 83 home runs. Killing it. Fourth in runs per game. They have, and again, are the magnitude of injuries that they have as bad as the Mets? Absolutely not. But... To say they're better, I get the argument because what would they be if they had these guys? Mm. 
But it's not like the Mets are in any slump to really even be having this like comparison right now. I mean, the Mets are the second best. By record, the Mets are the second best team in baseball. That doesn't mean they're way better. I mean, DeGrom, again, DeGrom will pitch, what, every five, every five days? Scherzer will play every five days? If these were positional players we're talking about, like if you take, let's say, again, knock on wood, doesn't happen. Pete Alonso, the, these x-rays went negative and you were missing him and you were yeah. faltering. Okay, then you got an argument. But not for a guy that's going to play every five games. I, I wouldn't say that, that they're way better. And even if they were, right? What would they have on top of the Yankees? I know they're two games back at the winning column of the Yankees. Maybe they'd be 43 and whatever. They'd have three more wins. Does that say way better? You know how my mindset is with this team. You know, you know how my mindset is with this L- team. I, listen, I get it. From years and years of disappointment, I understand. You're not, you you're not going to guard. You're not going to believe the hype. I'll, I'll say this. You, I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong. You're not going to believe the hype maybe if they – until they have this type of success into the month of what? Late July, early August? That's, that's my like checkpoint, right? If yeah. they get past that month of July, then I'm going to start getting excited. I'm going to start to feel it. But I've seen a seven-game lead in the, the, in the division be blown with 17 games left in the season. And that was 14, 15 years ago when the Philadelphia Phillies came out out of nowhere. They pulled a rabbit out of their ass and surpassed the Mets to win the NL East on the last day of the season where Tom Glavin decides to give up seven runs on the season finale. At home, by the way. Love that. In front of Mets fans. Embarrassing. And I'm pretty sure this might have been the day after John Main had a no-no going into the eighth inning. I'm not sure if that was the same season. Might have been the season after. I think it was the same season, but can't even remember because the Mets, they make me mad. They make me frustrated. But we're 38-20. and I'm holding optimism tonight. I'm holding optimism for the rest of the season. I think we're making the playoffs, and that's a big statement for me. That is a big statement for me. I mean, Tom, if we – I mean, checkpoint this date right now, right? What are we at today? What is today? June 8th. June 8th? Yep. If they're at a record of 38-20 and 20 with eight-game lead on Atlanta, ten-and-a-half-game lead on Philly, because that's really the only competition, right? Nationals and Miami aren't going to do anything. Correct. Yeah. If they don't make the playoffs, having the lead that they have – Again, a lot of games left. A lot, yeah. over a hundred games left. But something miserably went wrong if they don't make the playoffs with the lead in which they have right now. Something went wrong, like a horrendous, something horrendous happened to this team if they don't make the playoffs. And again, the difference maker as well, which doesn't get enough credit. Again, because in baseball, uh, baseball specifically, there, there's limited sports where I believe that a manager or coach actually has an impact. Buck Showalter, I mean, give him his props, oh, right? Great. As far he's as I'm concerned, great. he's manager of the year right now, right? I think it's I think it's his competition to lose. Depending upon obviously how the Mets finish off the season. But you've seen. Because essentially, right, Tom, this team is they made some good acquisitions this offseason, right? Mark mm-hmm. Hanna, Starling Marte. I love Marte and Starling Marte. Yeah, he's been great. Uh, Escobar, they've been great. Escobar, for the most part, I would say for the most part, the team is pretty similar to what it was last year. Mm-hmm. But there, there's there's not there, you can't even there's nothing alike what is happening this season versus this season versus a Luis yeah. Rojas run team and a mm-hmm. Buck Showalter run team. Yeah. Players are held accountable. Nothing's going on in, in in the dugout, the locker room. No controversy whatsoever. It's the same storyline with the Mets. If they stay healthy, that's the same question. But this year, we've seen that even in a lackluster of health and availability. They're still pushing through. They're chugging through, and they're playing great. Like, we're not just talking about a team that's competing for a wild card spot right now. We're talking about the best team in the National League by record, 
and we're talking about the best team in the uh, second best team in the entire league right now. If we get a Subway Series for a World Series, I might lose my mind. I might lose my mind. Uh, I don't I think it's have, ever. I might have that. to. I might have to go to that. I, I will lose a lot of money, but I might. I would dig deep into my savings account to go to one game if the Mets play the Yankees in the World Series. My gosh. Because we'll probably never see that again if, if it happens. And actually, people said that in 2000, and 22 years later now, the Mets and the Yankees are both atop their um, conferences. But speaking of your Yankees, Kyle, seven-game winning streak at the Twins this week on Tuesday. The Yankees pulling off a nice game with the win. Judge, Rizzo, and Stanton all go deep. Aaron Judge. Fantastic game with three RBIs. DJ LeMayhew, three for four with two walks. He's been outstanding. And, of course, Nasty Nestor on the mound tonight, who is in line, according to Jack Curry, to start the All-Star game for the American League. What a crazy storyline, right? Nesta Cortez to start the – not Garrett Cole, not Justin Verlander, not a Kevin Gausman with the Toronto Blue Jays. I know I'm missing a boatload of pitchers, too, that are so talented in the NL, but Nestor Cortez started the All-Star game. A guy that's played for a slew of teams, you know, started his career, I think actually with the Yankees, was released, played with Baltimore a few years, maybe another team or two, come and find his way back to the Yankees. And just, I don't know what's different about this year, but he's been absolutely, he's lights out. Yeah, He he can't hit against them. He can't hit against them. He doesn't give up home runs, doesn't make many mistakes. It's been tremendous strikeout-wise, and, and he's winning. He's winning repetitively. Obviously, again, with the Yankees team offensively that they built, it, it, I'm not going to say that it's going to be easy to win or, or harder to win. I think the run support that you're getting, fourth best in baseball with almost five runs per game, and the home run hitting that you're having, 83 home runs, which, again, I don't know where the rest of the league stands, but at first place right now, I, I couldn't even tell you who's in second right now. That's just how dominant they are. But – He's been incredible. Garrett Cole is is quietly getting his footing back under a sub three yep. ERA right now, five and one on the season. He's been really good. Uh, like you said, next man up mentality, right? All those bullpen guys I just talked about, they lost and they lost all at the same time too. That that was the crazy part. They lost them all like literally within a day or two of each other. Clay Holmes comes out of nowhere, becomes one of the best relievers in baseball. Crazy. And then again, you know my th- fantasy team, <laughs> Clay Holmes. And, and then this Yankees team as a whole. I mean, I know, and I and I was one of them. I, I'd be lying if, if if I said that it wasn't that it didn't shock me, didn't make me angry, and not because I didn't like the player in which they had gotten, but because of all the names at the position that the Yankees were tied to. What I mean is the shortstop uh, free agents this year, right? A class of a Trevor Story, a Corey Seager, uh, a Marcus uh, Simeon potentially to play shortstop. I know he's a second baseman, shortstop, whatever. Uh, and and Carlos Correa, obviously, to miss out on that class and to settle at the time, per se, for Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Falefa, this team has become 110% better athletically. He's been tremendous defensively in the infield. Mm -hmm. He's been a consistent batter, which, again, everybody looked at Correa, Story, Seager, and was like, we got to get that guy, we got to get him. And I was that that guy. I was that guy. Because I was seeing the Yankees miss out on Carlos Correa for $100 million. The Yankees, that's jump change. Miss out on Trevor Story to a rival in Boston for $120 million. 
It's chump change to the Yankees. I get it. You don't want to pay Francisco Lindor, Corey Seager money, no problem. But that, that hurt. But again, they don't need more home run guys, Tom. Everybody in this lineup can hit home runs, pretty much with the exception of Isaiah Kondafalefa. You know what? He gets on base. Does a hell of a job at it. DJ LeMahieu had it off a year last year. Played tremendous this year. Anthony Rizzo, again, I thought the Yankees were in a conversation for Freddie Freeman and Matt Olson. They re-signed Anthony Rizzo. Again, another move necessarily I wasn't a fan of. He's been excellent at first base. Excellent. Again, his batting average has slowly declined, but he's come up huge in big moments. He had a three-run uh, three run shot out to right field last night that gave out the Yankees an 8-4 lead late in the game. Tremendous. Aaron Judge, I mean, I don't know about you. He's my MVP in the NL right now, uh, in the AL right now. He's my MVP. John Carlos Stanton. Stanton, stud. Gleyber Torres, great. I mean, really, finally healthy, yeah. The only, really, the only issue that I see with this team so far, I mean, Aaron Hicks has struggled a little bit. Really, the only issue is, is Joey Gallo. Well, you've seen them work in and out of the lineup again. Even he's hit the last couple of games. He's I saw been a couple good. two for threes. Yeah. yeah, he's been good. He's been hitting some home runs. That's his, you know, his forte. Obviously, a high strikeout guy. Uh, batting average is is not the best by any stretch of the imagination. But if he could get that up to a two thirty for a Joey Gallo, take it. There's really no holes in this team right now. Mm-hmm. No. Again, the depth may not be there at pitching, but really no holes. And they're just they've impressed me. There's a different, just like we talked about with the Mets. There's a different feel to this Yankees team. They, they, they feel like the most complete team that I have seen over the course of the last five years. And here's the last thing I'll say on the Yankees. Watch out for this name come the trade deadline. Brian Reynolds from the Pittsburgh Pirates, potentially replacing Aaron Hicks in center field, I think he plays. Yeah, I would so, listen. That would be great. Young stud could add to this lineup, and I think it really put the Yankees over the top. I mean – that's one guy that I really want to look out for. And we have breaking news, by the way. I don't know if you heard this, but I did. I did. The, the freaking salary cap doesn't exist for this team, man. I, I just don't <laughs> no, understand. It doesn't. It's hilarious, but it doesn't. Here it is on a silver platter. Cooper Cup, three-year contract extension with the L.A. Rams. I don't know if he's the highest paid receiver in the, in, in the NFL, but I wouldn't be shocked if he is. I don't know the full details of this contract yet, but my, oh my, the Rams have solidified their core pieces, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, and Aaron Donald for years to come, not to mention they added Bobby Wagner in the offseason. Um, and Allen again, Robinson, they, too. Allen Robinson as well. And they, they really don't need to improve. So nope. quite frankly, bravo. L.A. Rams and Bravo Cooper Cup getting a contract extension. Sean McVay's not kidding. He had that Lombardi Trophy cake at his wedding, and I know Odell crashed it, but, man, <laughs> I'll tell you. What a L.A. Rams, Tampa Bay Bucks rematch, NFC Championship game, 2023. Book it. I'll double down on that. I'll take that all day. Especially Tom looking Brady. At, looking at this NFC, I'll take that all day. Looking for revenge. Looking for revenge. Uh, but any uh, any final thoughts on the uh, Cooper Cup news here before we sign off? Uh, no, I mean uh, again another another well deserved contract. Again, joined the Triple Crown cr- Club this past season, which is an elite crew of uh, Steve Smith's uh, senior, uh, Jerry Rice, obviously uh, mm-hmm. Sterling Sharp, I believe, and one other guy. So only I think he joins either he's the fourth or fifth person to ever reach that milestone. Again, he was. Uh, an absolute beast in the Super Bowl. 
clutch down the stretch all season long, consistent performer game after game, well-deserved contract. Obviously we know his story as well. So it just makes the deal that much sweeter. And to see this guy not only make a name for himself, not only perform at the highest of levels in an LA media market, but then to cash in on top of it when everybody else has been getting, you know, Matthew Stafford gets his deal. Aaron Donald gets his deal. Maybe a little salt in the wound. Allen Robinson gets a deal before Cooper Cup gets a contract extension. Bobby Wagner gets his massive deal. We got Ramsey. Ramsey, a $100 million cornerback. Cooper Cup gets his deal. Done, solidified. He's set the next five years. So that's, that's awesome. Well, you heard it from us. Cooper Cup will remain in L.A. Ram for much longer. Folks. Appreciate everybody who watched tonight, commented in the comments section. I know we're getting towards the midst of summer in about two weeks, so uh, it's been quiet in the world of sports. It's going to get quieter once the NBA Finals and Stanley Cup Finals are over. Um, We will all let you know when our hiatus will be. But, folks, remember to check us out for all of our latest up-to-date content on all of our social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. I know Nick uh, hosted tricks and picks today, put up some betting parlays that if you're into sports betting, definitely want to go check that out. Uh, him and Liam Barwick have been putting in some good work and, uh, folks appreciate you all tuning in here on review and preview tonight. Uh, look forward to chatting with you all again, very, very soon on behalf of Kyle Russo. I'm Tom Skimetta saying so long. You've been watching review and preview here on Facebook live. Have a good night, everybody.